I hope you will join me in 2 Kings chapter 22, text we talked about earlier and the text we read from a few minutes ago. I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad we get to study from a couple of chapters in the Old Testament this morning, 2 Kings 22 and 23, the reforms of a great king whose name is Josiah. The way we connect to the past is interesting, the way we reflect on it. Uh, Melanie and I went to my 30-year high school reunion this weekend in Memphis. And I think everybody would agree that the 1980s is the best decade ever. Um, The music, the hair, who doesn't want to bring the mullet back, right? The fashion... We, uh, on the way, Melanie played a 1980s playlist, and it was, who was it? It was uh, Minute Work, Eddie Money, Cindy Lauper. If I had been choosing the playlist, she was, she was the DJ on the, on, the, on the way over, but I would have I put Whitesnake and Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard and Motley Crue and Run DMC and LL Cool J. Remember some of these? Some of those don't fit together very well. Uh, I've noticed that some of my classmates are still wearing the 1980s hair, which is sort of interesting. And it's kind of, it's kind of, it is kind of interesting. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, just the way we connect to the past. You know, 30 years. I was thinking, man, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like that long. Everybody else in the class has, has gotten old, and I, and I kind of feel sad for them. It's just. <laughs> You think about you think about how how time passes. You know, it, it goes it goes so quickly, and you think things from the past kind of cycle around. They make their way back. Things from the past kind of want to want to leave them in the 1980s or, or whatever. Probably a bad transition here, but because we're going to talk about serious stuff, and that obviously is not a big deal in the big scheme of things. And Josiah's thing is pretty big, and the applications you're going to make from it are even bigger. You know, because our connection to the past is, is interesting and it's sometimes we're too connected to the past, like we want to preserve all the forms of the past of, of 50 years ago maybe, and sometimes we're too disconnected from the past and we think anything that's new must inherently be good. And, and so let's forget about the past and let's just do the, the latest trend, the latest fad, you know. And so I think we can be too too connected to the past. We can live in the past and kind of think that the way it was is the way it ought always to be, and we can do the other thing, and that is to think if it's old, then it's necessarily bad. Josiah is in a situation where things are bad. I mean, from, from every possible, in every possible metric, things in Josiah's day were bad. The, the nation of Judah, just so you know, historically speaking, is not going to be around very long. It's not going to be around very long. Josiah, I mean, it's, it is going down, and Josiah kind of slows it down a little bit. But it's still going to go down. Even what Josiah does, and we're in a world study about it a little bit today, but even what he does doesn't prevent the inevitable fall of Judah. So things are bad. Uh, his grandfather was Manasseh. Manasseh reigned for 55 years, and all 55 years were bad. It was, it was a, a, a reign of terror. Lots of innocent blood was shed during Manasseh's reign. His son, Ammon, reigned for two years. 
And they were bad. He followed in the footsteps of his father Manasseh. And then Ammon's son, Josiah, took the throne when he was eight years old. He was just a kid, you know, just eight years old. But when he came of age, some things happened, some interesting things happened. And Josiah came around in a bad time, and and yet, as I talked about at the beginning of worship today, he found the book of the law. And it's an interesting, I I love this story. I already talked about this earlier, so I won't won't rehash this too much. But I I do want you to see in the text that Reggie read a few minutes ago, verses 8 through 11. In the first part of the chapter, you know, it just tells us about Josiah's reign. He's 8 years old. In the 18th year of King Josiah, verse 3, so he's 26 years old. He's a grown man now. They're, they're restoring the temple. It's in a constant state of renovation. And, and, and he's dealing with some of the money things, some of the money for the restoration of the temple, how it's to be distributed and all that. And so they're up there working in the temple. His, his high priest, Hilkiah, finds, finds a book, finds what he calls the book of the law. Scholars have debated about what this book is. What I said in the introduction was, I think it's probably the book of Deuteronomy. I think that's probably what it was. That's one view. It doesn't really matter. Ultimately, what it was, the book of the law, it was at least this. It was certainly the collection of of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was the law of Moses contained in some sort of a book. And probably, you know, Deuteronomy does a good job of that. And some of the connections that that we could make, we had more time, would do that. But uh, just, just for now, just assume this is a book like Deuteronomy that summarizes what the law said. And they found this book. And it's just amazing to me when I read this, you know. Wow, how bad had things gotten that they had lost the Bible? Can you imagine? Imagine a church with no Bible. A church that for maybe a couple hundred years hadn't had a Bible. Didn't even know what it said. How, how chaotic, how disordered would things be in this church if we forgot about the Bible? If none of you had a Bible and I didn't have a Bible and, and the messages that were shared from this pulpit didn't have anything to do with the Bible because we didn't know where it was, imagine how things would get. That's the situation when Josiah found this book and they brought it to him and they read it to him. His secretary, Shaphan, read it to him. And Josiah tore his clothes because he realized, probably should have realized this earlier, but he realized we have been neglecting what the law said, what the book said, what the Bible said. And he instituted a series of reforms that were pretty, pretty amazing. And in fact, we're going to go to chapter 23. I skipped over chapter 22. Basically what happens in that chapter is they brought, they brought a book to him. And, and, and by the way, this is Deuteronomy. They brought it to him, read it to him, and he said, man, we have missed so much stuff. He took it to, the, to a prophet, prophetess. Her name was Huldah, and Huldah interpreted it for him. She helped him to understand what it meant. And Josiah took her words, and he understood some things they needed to change. And so he began a series of reforms. And those reforms are found in chapter 23. Let me summarize them for you. Man, you can, you can spell, I hope you'll read this. Maybe you're, you've already read it. Uh, but but lots, of, lots of stuff happens here. Let me, but let me summarize it for you. There are basically two things he does. 
He takes away all this stuff that shouldn't be there. That's the first thing he does. Second thing he does is he restores some things that weren't there that should have been there. So, so, so basically two things. And a lot of the things he took away, if you notice in chapter 23, if you got your Bible there, starting in verse 4, he commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asher. These are false gods and goddesses. For all the host of heaven, he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. He deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places. These are these places where they worshipped the idols on the, you know, the hilltops and mountaintops. Those who burned incense to Baal, that was a Canaanite god. To the sun and moon and the constellation, the host of the heavens. He brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord, verse 6, outside Jerusalem to the brook Kedron. He burned it at the brook Kedron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. So it would desecrate this area and it wouldn't be used in worship anymore. That was the idea here. He broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. I mean, oh man, this is just, you go on, you read this whole chapter sometime. He just does all this stuff. He breaks down all these, all these things. He defiles these places of worship. As you go through these verses, though, what you'll see, here's a summary of it. They had been worshiping Baal and Asherah and these other Canaanite gods and goddesses. And they had been, at the end of the chapter, they had been using this like divination, sorcery, witchcraft, all this stuff. And all this thing, all this had been going on for a long time. Now, Josiah's granddad, Manasseh, had started a lot of this. But it had been going on even before that. Solomon had done some of this. He refers to Solomon in this chapter. Solomon goes all the way back 400 years earlier. So, so I don't know. I just wanted you to see here, man, Josiah, he purges this stuff. One of the things when I was reading this this, this week, reading this text... And, um, and, I, and I, in the margins, I, I would write down some questions. And, and, and one of the questions I asked, so I'd go back later and try to figure it out. You know, one of the questions I put in the margin of, of my reading this week was, why did it take this long to do this? What in the world? Solomon had started some of this stuff 400 years earlier. How, in the, how did they go 400 years and not do this? And I don't know the answer to that. But Josiah, part of the answer is, they weren't reading the Bible. <laughs> part of the answer and we're reading it so Josiah goes through here and he purges all these false gods he tears these places apart he scatters bones to desecrate the land so they won't start this worship back up again and so he goes through all these things and then at the end of the near the end of the chapter verse 21 oh about midway down verse 21 he commanded all the people keep the Passover to the Lord your God you remember Passover you know what Passover is Passover was instituted back in the book of Exodus and it was to be observed annually in the nation. And they were to do it every year to honor what God did for them in Egypt. It was to be an annual feast. It was one of several feasts that they were to do every year. Notice what he says. He restores Passover, verse 22, For no such Passover had been kept since the day of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah. Just, just try to... Try to understand, can you, can you imagine how big of a deal this was? Since the days of Judges, that's before Saul, David, and Solomon. That's so many hundreds of years ago. 
and they had not been observing Passover like this, at least. Maybe they, it's, it's possible they were observing it privately and that he's saying they hadn't observed it in Jerusalem like in this public kind of way. But regardless, they had neglected some of what God had told them to do. All right, so why, why, why does this matter? I mean, we're Christians, right? We don't, we don't live in Judah. We don't live under the Deuteronomy, book of Deuteronomy, right? We don't, live, we don't live then. So what in the world do we learn from this and why we even need to talk about 2 Kings 22 and 23 and this, this king named Josiah? I mean, he did some good stuff, but still, what in the world do we need to think about this? I want to share with you a few things just briefly for us to think about as a church. Here's, here's one of those things. Sometimes the Bible, even though it's close at hand, even though it's close by, can lose its power over us. I don't believe the Bible ever loses its power inherently, but it can lose its power over us when we neglect it, right? Now, they had lost the Bible. They had lost the Bible. Do you know what is as bad or maybe even a little bit worse than losing the Bible? You know what it is? It's when you got the Bible in your house and you never read it. That's, that's a pretty bad thing. That's pretty, that might be even a little bit worse. Uh, and I was thinking this week how it's fascinating how they lost it. They lost this, this book, you know, for quite, apparently quite a while. They lost it, and they found it. And I was thinking about, man, how many Bibles that you and I have in this church? I mean, you know, you got your phone out or your tablet out. Many of you do. And that's, that's cool. How many, how many Bibles you got on, your, on that thing? How many different translations of the Bible do you have? How many, how many just old-fashioned Bibles like this do you have? Some of you have got a bunch. I've got quite a few in my office and house, you know. I've got a lot of them, different translations. Books I used, Bibles I used to use and I kind of wore out and I got another one. You know, we've got lots of Bibles. Now I want us to, I want us to be convicted by this story, all right? I want us to be convicted. I want to be convicted. I want you to be convicted by it. Because so often... We, we haven't lost it. We know exactly where it is. It's right there in my palm of my hand. It's right there on my desk. It's on the bookshelf. I know exactly where it is. But I'm not reading it. And it can lose its influence over any church or any family or any individual who doesn't take the time to read it and to study it and to meditate on it. I mean, so we're reading through the Bible this year as a church. And many, many people in this room are, are doing that, keeping up more or less, right? And that's a, that's a good thing. And I'm thankful we're, we're doing that together this year. And this is part of our reading, as, as some of you know. And we read, we've been reading kind of through the book of Psalms here and there, reading through the Psalms. We read through Psalm 119 a while back. And, and then that 119th Psalm has 176 verses. You know, in that Psalm, it talks about the law of God and on it, I will meditate day and night. I just want to urge you and me to find ourselves perhaps in this story. Some of the problems we have, some of the sin struggles and the way that we succumb to temptation over and over again, they happen because we're not connected to Jesus Christ through His Scripture. So I want to challenge us as a church and you as a family and you as an individual to make sure you've got some way, some, some kind of commitment on a daily basis to spend time in Scripture because God works through the Word to shape hearts 
And so we can, we can neglect it. We can neglect it. James 1, 22 through 25 says, you know, it's possible to hear and not do. And he's saying that, that it's important not just to read, not just to listen, but to do. But he says the word of God is the law of liberty. It's like a mirror, you know, and, and we can look at it and we can see a reflection, see what God wants us to learn. And so when we read the word, God will open our eyes and we will see some things. One of the things that we will see sometimes is that we need to stop doing some things that we've been doing. That's what happened with Josiah. Uh, there are lots of stuff going on, and I don't know, I don't know why Josiah didn't already know this. Maybe he did. Uh, I don't know why people are still doing this if they knew better, but lots of bad stuff is going on. Josiah said, we're going to put a stop to this. We're going we're to put a stop to this. Now, just quickly for a second, there's a principle here that <coughs> is pretty important to churches of Christ. Historically speaking, and um, some of you, many of you perhaps are familiar with history of Churches of Christ and how we came about to be an independent religious movement in America a couple hundred years ago. And it was very much this principle that's on the screen behind me. This is one of the principles that led to the creation of or to the restoration of this movement of Churches of Christ because we believe that Sometimes in religious history, there, have been, there has been a neglect of certain things that are very important. And there has been the introduction of practices that don't have biblical roots. And so one of the things that drove some, some of our spiritual ancestors here in America a couple hundred years ago is this idea that we need to study the Bible and and there, there will be times when, religiously speaking, kind of corporate, at the corporate level, at the, at, the, at the church kind of level, there will be practices we need to get rid of. And we need to be, I think we need to be in a constant state of restoration kind of thinking as a church. And that is that we need to make sure that the things that we're doing are consistent with God, with what God wants from us. That's, that's a part of our spiritual DNA in churches of Christ, right? And, and so... You know, some of the things that, historically speaking, that people have, have practiced. Um, some of our, a couple hundred years ago, and for the last 200 years, and people in our, in our churches today, we, we remain committed to the principle here, right? Sometimes, though, and I, I don't want to apply this simply on the corporate kind of level. I want to apply this individually. And, 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 and you're probably like me in this, in this respect, that sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, you know, I've read, most, I've read a lot of this. And, and you've read a lot of it, and, and, but, but still, sometimes I'm reading the Bible again, like this year, reading it again, and, and, and God will open my eyes to some things going on in my heart that ought not be there. He'll do that. He'll do that. Imagine how many opportunities we've missed from not reading where God might have opened our eyes to see some things going on in our lives that shouldn't be there. Some of the pride and some of the fear and some of the anger, some of the bitterness, some of the... Some of the the feelings that are, that are divisive and hurtful and, and things that are leading to, you know, not living this abundant life that God created me to live, us to live. And so when you, when you read Scripture, there will be things going on in your life that God will open your eyes and He will, through His Spirit, convict you and help you to change. It's going to happen at the corporate level religiously. It's going to happen at the individual level for us as Christians as we read. So there's that, that principle of of, of, of stopping some of the things that we ought not be doing. But then the opposite of that is true as well. 
Sometimes the Bible is going to lead us to restore some things we've been neglecting. Happened in our spiritual movement as well, in Churches of Christ. Restoring some things. They were one of, the, one of the things that came to be a big part of Churches of Christ, as you, as you may know, is the restoration of teaching on baptism. That, uh, that, that historically speaking, baptism had kind of been devalued. It had been, it had been kind of put to the side in some ways. Wasn't, it, it, it had been taken out of a, a very prominent place in, in Scripture. I mean, this connection to what God does in a person's heart, you know. And so, as far as churches of Christ are concerned, this is one of those things that this principle, hey, if baptism isn't where it ought to be in people's relationship to Christ, we need to emphasize that again. We need to restore that, you know. Our emphasis on communion, the, the regular taking of communion, the frequent taking of communion, as we did here a few minutes ago. You know, things like that at the corporate kind of level. Then individually speaking as well. We read the Bible, we read Scripture, and God's Spirit is going to convict us through the Word that there are things we're neglecting in our private lives, in our personal, individual lives. We're going to restore some things that we've been neglecting. Now, I just all I'm suggesting to you is from this story, I want to challenge you as, as a person, as a family, individual family units, and as, as a church, as a corporate church, that we remember just the pivotal, the kind of the central place of Scripture in the history of God's people in the Old Testament and the New Covenant people. We are a people of the book. And it's going to shape us. It's going to shape what we do, and it's going to shape what we don't do. What we don't do always, it is going to convict us. When you read Scripture... When you read it, you take time not just to check off a, some sort of a box, but actually to read it, meditate on it, allow it to shape us. There's power in the Word. There's power. God's Spirit works through the Word. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe God's working today. I believe God is working in, in ways that are amazing and beautiful and incredible. And one of those ways that He does it, one of the primary ways that God does His work in our hearts is He does it through His Spirit, working through the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I'm just afraid sometimes that we can step away from that, even though we've got thousands of Bibles within our reach. And nonetheless, sometimes we can neglect that and then sometimes we'll be doing things we shouldn't. We'll be not doing some things that we should. But the Bible will convict us. When Josiah found it, he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. And he said, it doesn't matter if God punishes us or not. He says, in essence, we're going to do what the Word says. God will be fair. God will be just. and God will be merciful. But we're going to follow Scripture. If you're not a Christian this morning, you know, we want, to be, we want to be committed always as a church to what the Scriptures teach, you know. We believe that you'll be drawn to Jesus by God's Spirit. We believe you'll be drawn to Jesus by what God's Spirit has revealed in Scripture. And, and it may be that He's leading you today to confess your faith that Jesus is God's Son, to put Jesus Christ on in baptism to have your sins washed away by the blood of Christ, to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins that you might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If there's someone here today who's ready to become a Christian, 
we invite you today. We, we believe that we are offering his invitation to you, that you can become a Christian this morning and you come to Jesus Christ. We would be thrilled to help you in your obedience to the gospel of Christ. Maybe you need to come back to him today because your life has not been what it ought to be. You have strayed away from him. You've let something else become your God instead of God. And you want to come back and ask for the prayers of the church here. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. We want to support you in your walk with Christ. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come. Let's stand. Let's sing this song.